You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you. It is good to get our hearts ready for worship this morning through the word, through prayer, through testimony, through singing. It has been good for my heart. It's good to see you guys this morning. I am encouraged every time I step back in the presence of the Lord with you together. And I ask now that you would gather around with me around the Word of God in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we are uh, beginning this Christmas series uh, that we are deeming, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. It is not a great phrase we came up with. We totally, I totally stole that from a song that has really resonated in my heart over the last uh, year or so. It is a song like many Christmas songs. It is not just about the arrival of the king, but it's about the entirety of the gospel message. And um, you'll notice that as we go through the next few weeks, ending up this series on the 24th in our candlelight service, that every week, uh, while it is all scripture and it is all going to be coming at you directly from the word, letting the word speak, it resonates with each of the verses of that song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. I encourage you, if you haven't heard it, to go look it up. Matt Papa, Matt Boswell, and Michael Bleeker put it together, and uh, it, it, I believe it will speak to your soul. Um, this particular week, we're going to talk about the, f- the fact that Jesus became one of us. We're going to talk about what was known as the incarnation, the mystery of the incarnation. And the way that I have titled it is that Christ is our condescension. And when we think of that word condescension, we don't normally like it. It's a negative word for us in most of our lives in almost every aspect. If somebody ever condescends toward you, you usually don't receive that well. Right? Am I the only one? Thank you. I'm not, <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like I like it when people condescend around me or toward me. I don't think people like it if they feel like I'm condescending toward them. Uh, however, when it comes to a holy, infinite God who is infinitely wiser and beyond our understanding, infinitely wiser than us, more aware than us, all-knowing, all-powerful, speaking to us as finite human beings who are tainted with sin, then it is not a wrong statement and it is not a negative statement when we say that he has condescended to us. That means that he has lowered himself to engage with us in a real, tangible way that can bring us hope and peace and love and joy and ultimately salvation in the person and work of his son, Jesus. So when I say Christ is our condescension, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And we're going to look today in John chapter 1, a passage most of us are very familiar with, and we're going to see how the Lord pushes in our hearts and shapes us. Let me tell you that I'm not going to do a lot of work of trying to convince you to do anything. I'm not going to do a lot of work of trying to persuade you to, to stop doing too much. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to make much of Jesus from the Word of God and let the Word of God wash over us and let that stir our hearts as God shapes us by His Holy Spirit to be more and more like our brother Jesus, our Savior, our King Jesus. Look with me, if you would, in chapter 1 of John. We're going to read verses 1 through 18, and then I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to start to unpack these things. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Father, I beg you today that you would refresh our souls with your word that if there's some here who do not know you that you would enlighten them to the truth that you would make them alive that you would give them a desire for repentance and belief that you would change their heart of stone to a heart of flesh and that they would turn from their sin and believe on your son jesus lord i pray that you work in our hearts to yearn for you and yearn for your ways more than our own And that, Lord, we would see the magnanimous glory of just that thing. To love you because you first loved us. To make much of you because you've made so much of us. To turn to you and to die to self so that we might love you the way you have loved us. Father, we ask all this in your precious, beautiful, glorious Son, Jesus' name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. That word, word, is referring to Jesus. But it's talking about before he became the name Jesus. The Son of God in his fullness. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, John, in his prologue here, The beloved disciple is telling us about a part of who Christ is. Every one of the Gospels has kind of a different angle on the story from a different perspective. And John's is kind of like the most different than the others. You've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which you might think are kind of all the major networks giving their news story about what's happened with Jesus. And then you've got John, which would be like your local Fox affiliate or something, something different, right? Uh, this, this is your local Birmingham station, but he's taking it from uh, this humanity's perspective of the others. And he's elevating it to this different spiritual perspective as the Holy Spirit leads him to speak of this. And throughout the whole thing, he's trying to say, this man is God. 
He's putting out a point in the very beginning, and he carries it through the entirety of his gospel. He's saying this, basically, as I sum it up in my own words in these five verses, Jesus has always been and will always be fully God. You may think, I got that. I'm here for a reason. I know this. I don't think that it's in our hearts the way it needs to be. It hasn't been in mine. No matter how much I strive, it's never enough in my understanding and in the way I walk in this truth. Look at it, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That means there has never been a moment where the Son of God has not been with the Father. There's never been a moment where the Son of God has not been present with the Father and the Spirit. That This is the great Trinitarian statement that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three persons in one God beyond our ability to understand. That's good news, by the way, because if we can understand everything about an infinite God when we are finite, it wouldn't be much of an infinite God to understand. And this God, in the beginning, was with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do you see His eternality? Do you see that He's always been, always will be, forever and ever, beyond our comprehension? We cannot put ourselves in a box to understand that, because all we've ever known is what's inside of this time block we live in. We can never fully see the grasp and grasp this. It says he was in the beginning with God. This flies in the face of Jehovah's Witnesses that say he was the first creation or that he was created by the Father as a demigod. This is not the case. He's always been and always will be fully God and has always been with the Father. There is no missing that. Not only that, we see that he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. That means he is also sovereign. The Son of God is fully sovereign. He didn't just stand by and watch the Father make things. It was through him. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. It makes perfect sense when you think about it. He's referred to as the Word. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And in the Genesis account of creation, we see God spoke words and spoke things into being. The Father decreed and through the Son they were made by the Spirit who hovered on the waters, who Trinitarily together, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have made all things. Nothing has been made without the Son. He is sovereign. He is eternal. He is transcendent. He's above all things. He's beyond our understanding. He's beyond the scope of this reality. He doesn't just live in the here and now. He's outside of our timeline who also works in our timeline. And you see here his omnipotence. He is all-powerful. There's none like him. He speaks and things come into being. He desires them and they happen. There's nothing that can change who he is and what he has done. Look at verse 4 and 5. In him was life. That means all life is in him. There's nothing alive that has not been given life by him and through him. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Everything good in us, everything that is light within us comes from the glory of the Father through the Son by the Spirit. There's nothing good on this earth that was not birthed out of his decree, that was not given through the Son and given over by the Spirit. Everything was given because he is all-powerful, all-creative, all-transcendent, all-sovereign and eternal above all things. 
things. And he is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, everything you thought about doing, all the possibilities. He's aware of them all, and nothing ever surprises him. You can never do anything so bad that you take him off guard. You can never do anything so great that he's amazed and surprised at what you've done. He is all-knowing, period. He's God, period. Fully God. All knowledge of truth comes from Him. Even those crazy math problems you hated in eighth grade. That's His truth, communicated about His order that He put into play. They're all His rules in physics that we learn about. It's all His rules of language that He gave us because He's a communicating God and wants us to communicate with Him and one another. This is who He is. All-knowing, all-knowledge comes from Him. And He deserves, therefore, all the glory, all the time, for everything. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for His glory. He alone deserves the glory. I don't deserve any credit for anything. You don't deserve any credit for anything. He deserves all the credit. I like to think that when I make something, that I should get some credit for it, especially around the house, right? When I fix something... Look what I did, right? When my kids come down for their birthday and there's decorations up, yeah, Daddy did that, right? <laughs> no, the Lord alone deserves the glory. We can thank one another, we can enjoy one another, but it's all because of the grace of God that we even exist still instead of being destroyed the moment we sin our first time before we're even aware we're sinners. He deserves all the glory. Every moment of our lives should be spent to his fame and his goodness. Everything we do, everything we think, everything we enjoy should be enjoyed for his goodness and glory and kindness. And if it does not bring him glory, we should not yearn for it or do it or be a part of it. Man, that hurts my heart. How much have I or you spent doing things that only bring shame to the fame of Jesus. They only bring heartache to our Father who gave us His Son. He deserves every moment because He is God and He is glorious. And He is the true light of the world and the darkness cannot overcome Him. The darkness cannot comprehend Him. See, all life began with Him And all eternal life emanates only from him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. See, we talk about truth in various ways. Truth, all lowercase, means truth that is just true. Like this morning when it was freezing outside, the sun felt good because it's warm. That's true. The sun brings warmth. It is true that we sit in a place right now where we do not know what will come tomorrow, but we know right now this is where we are present together. We can be aware of this reality of this moment. It is true. I can know that there are dangers encircling us, that COVID is at every turn, that people are afraid everywhere, that people are reacting in crazy and in right ways all around us. The darkness is everywhere around us, amen? But we also know that the light has come, and the light dispels the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome him, and the darkness does not understand him. 
An eternal life that only He can give. The real truth that's found in this Word of God, the truth, capital T, this truth, shows us who Jesus is and what He has done and what He has promised to do. And the fullness of truth is found in Him. Jesus, all caps, truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by Him because He alone can bring us that salvation. He is fully God. Always has been, always will be. Life always begins with Him. It does not begin with us. It always begins with Him. Look with me as we read verses 9 through 13. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. I often wonder how much that broke the Father's heart that he sent his son to save his people and they did not even receive him. And then I think about how often I have not received his grace and mercy in Jesus when he sent him for me. How we break his heart. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that's how you become a, a Christian. That's how you become a person that loves God because he first loved you. To all who believe in him, who received him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's amazing news. We are sinners who deserve condemnation for our sin because we have not given God glory in every moment of every day for everything, and he deserves it all. So we have robbed him of his glory, and instead of punishment for that, he sent us his son Jesus as a savior. It should not work that way. The one who created us should not have to serve us like that. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, that's the question, right? Who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, how did that happen? He says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. No matter how much we yearn for things to change, no matter how much we hate the people we become inside, or hate the things we've done, in our own volition, we can never overcome our sinfulness enough to be right with God. We can never do it on our own. And that sounds horribly dead-ending. But thanks be to God that he loved us so much that he sent us his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in the name of his son, whoever receives his son, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but are born of God. You've heard it your whole lives, I've heard it too. The Holy Spirit moves upon you. You recognize your sinfulness, you repent and believe, you run after Jesus, and he saves your souls. This is how it works. This is the truth we see in scriptures. And this is good and glorious because he is fully God. We are not. He is all-knowing. We are not. He is all-good. We are not. He is all-powerful. We are not. We need him to save us. And when we see his glory... When we see his beauty, 
We repent of our sin because there's no other choice left for us. We see who he is. We see, yes, of course I want him. Yes, of course I run after him because I see him rightly. God removes the scales from our eyes and we run headlong after him, choosing him every day, sometimes not quick enough. Not of the will of man or the will of the flesh or because of blood, but who are born of God. Fully God, this man, Jesus. But it didn't just stay just fully God. Do you recognize the importance and the craziness of the incarnation? Do you understand what Christmas really means? The, I mean, you, yes, we get it, but no, we don't. We'll never really fully understand that angels stare into and long to stare into the gospel to understand this. The ones who have always known him all their created life and always walked perfectly with him, this says they yearn to look into the gospel of Jesus. They yearn to see these truths because they cannot get over them. If we've gotten over them, we do not fully understand them. This is truth. And the word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us for the first time in eternity. The Son of God became something he was not. This isn't because he was missing out on something that he needed to be complete. This is not because he was missing out on some glorious aspect that he had to attain by becoming a man. This is not because he needed to do something to show how great he is. God the Son was always great enough, was always glorious enough, was always superior, was always powerful, was always beautiful, didn't need to do anything. But out of His great love for us, not because He needed us to be fulfilled, completely fulfilled in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that relationship between the three persons of one God always had been enough and always would be enough. But out of the overflow of His love, He created us. And out of the overflow of His love, He desired to come and save us. He did not need us. He did not have to have us to feel complete or to feel worthy. He loved us out of a true humility and he became one of us. For the first time in eternity, God the Son became something he had never been. He became one of us. He became a man. Fully God, fully man, one person. I cannot understand it. People have tried to explain it in the fullness of these ideas and it always falls short and usually falls into heresy sooner or later because we cannot fully grasp this idea that one person fully God fully man and how that works and I'm here to tell you we will never figure it out I don't believe even in eternity because we will still be finite in the presence of an infinitely glorious God but what I know is that in his condescension we see the wisdom and humility of the almighty God all-powerful God, all-glorious God, humbling himself to become one of us, to serve us, even to the point of death on the cross. Not because he needed me. Not because I was so awesome he had to come save me. But because I was a worm 
and he sent his glorious, beautiful son to die for me. I will never fully understand. But Leviticus 26, 11 through 12 helps us to understand this verse at least. He says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. He says, I will make my dwelling among you and I will not hate you. That's what he's saying. He says, I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. And here we see the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. See, God had been with his people, Adam and Eve in the garden. Sin entered in the world as they chose themselves over God. And that relationship was destroyed and they were cast out of the garden, not able to be in the presence of God. And so God did not end it there or go to plan B. He continued plan A, which was to set everything up to bring his son so that we could be reunited with him through his work, by his glory, by his grace, in his mercy, in spite of our sinfulness. That he sent his son, who then came and tabernacled among us, who came to be in our presence and dwell with us. The author of the universe, the author of all life, the author of all things became one of us in order to serve and save us. Galatians 4, the book about the law. Man, how good it is at Christmas. Galatians 4, 4, one of my favorite passages about the incarnation. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let me unpack it. When the fullness of time had come. Not because God finally caught up. Not because he was waiting around and just trying to find the right time. When everything that he had begun got to the place where he knew it would be because he had orchestrated the timeline, and when the fullness of time had come, he sent Jesus into the world. That's a gloriously good God. That's an all-powerful God. That's a sovereign God. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, submitting to His own law, living the life we could not live, to redeem those who were under the law, us, the life we could not live so that we might receive adoption as sons instead of being destroyed as debtors. Instead, he gave his son, who's holy and righteous and good, to become the debtor for us. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That means that we have the ability to reach out to him, as my little girl does when I come home, who yells for me, Daddy, Daddy, pick me up, hold me. Daddy, take me. Daddy, come with me. Dance with me. Be with me. That's the yearning of our Father for us. Every moment of every day, recognizing His presence, enjoying His presence, reveling in His goodness. And He wanted that so much that He sent His one and only Son, worth more than all of creation combined because He's fully God to become one of us and serve us even to the point of death so that we are no longer slaves but sons and daughters. And if sons and daughters, then heirs through God. And by the way, his timing is always perfect. You may think, why am I going through this thing I'm going through right now? Why, why is COVID here? Why is 2020 now a verb? 
Why is it crazy in this life? Why is cancer at my doorstep? Why is my family ravaged by disease or heartache or brokenness? I do not know, but the Lord is very aware. His timing is impeccable. It's always right. And I do not know why he allows things to happen the way he does, but I know the end result is always to draw us into a better relationship with him. In the fullness of time had come, he sent forth his son. You may think, well, yeah, that sounds great. He sent his son to save us. What about this cancer? No, he sent his son to the cross when the fullness of time had come. He sent his son to death so he could overcome death for us. He sent his son to persecution so that we could be redeemed from persecution. He sent his son to endure hostility so that we could be redeemed from it and saved from it. He sent his son to bring unity when there's a much disunity. He sent his son into the fire so we don't have to endure the fire forever. That's the God we serve. That's the son who's our savior. His ways are always perfect. Hebrews 2, 14 Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore... He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, he came to become one of us not because he needed more glory. He had all the glory. He has all the glory. He did it so that he could become a sacrifice for us, so that he could come to satisfy the wrath of God towards us and take it upon himself to be a faithful high priest for us. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted to become a servant for us. That's why he came. See his humility? We see his eternality. We see his omniscience. We see his all-powerfulness, his almightiness. But do you see his humility? I think not often of his humility myself. Our king lowered himself to become our brother. What grace. What mercy. What truth. See the king's mercy in his becoming one of us to relate to us. To reconcile us. To become a sacrifice for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Listen how it pairs back to John 1. Listen how it pairs back to creation. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love Love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let us now then, brothers and sisters, love the light. Let us love Jesus. Let us love being in the light. Let us not love the darkness anymore. Let us run to the light. It is not always fun, but it is always good. It is always refreshing. Let us run to the light, into the arms of our loving Savior who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let us go to him because he's come for us. 
John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. 1 John 1, 5 on. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Brothers and sisters, let us walk in the light. Jesus is the light. It's not fun to walk in the light always, but it's always good to walk in the light. When we walk in the light, we're not seen as perfect. We're seen as sinners. We're seen as faulty. We're seen as failures. But what that shows is that we're not the ones that can save anybody. But Jesus, who is the only Redeemer, has already brought the good news to us by dying on the cross for us. When our sins are shown, when our faults are made clear, then Jesus is magnified and we are not. This is the way of the gospel. Weakness is the way. Let us be seen for weak so that the glorious Savior may be seen as the King. Let us be seen as those who cannot, because we have a Savior who already has accomplished everything on the cross. Let us bring the light of Jesus into the dark world that surrounds us this Christmas, not by being perfect, because they will never see Jesus in our perfection. They will see Jesus in our repentance. They will see Jesus in our confession of sin. They'll see Jesus in our hope in Him not in our hope, in ourselves. Let us humble ourselves and become like Jesus. Let us drop to our knees and confess our need for Jesus in every moment of every day walk in that truth. Let us humble, our, humble ourselves like Christ and serve our families, serve our friends, serve our co-workers this Christmas in the way Jesus has already served us by becoming our servant. This is how they will see the light of Jesus this Christmas. I end on Philippians 2 as an encouragement to us about how to do this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, today I want to send us out. 
But that only works for us as the gospel-faring people we are if we first come and behold the mystery. Let us have our hearts tuned in to behold the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of fully God became fully man to become fully Savior for full sinners like you and me. What a glorious God we serve. What a glorious King we celebrate. The little child who arrived 2,000 years ago who grew up to become the man who would die on the cross in our place, a criminal's cross. Come with me this Christmas and behold the wondrous mystery and let our hearts be turned to him and let our mouths sing of his glory everywhere we go all the time as we bake the cookies, as we decorate the trees, as we wrap the presents, as yes, as we drive in traffic, as we go to the stores, you crazy people that still go to stores, as we do anything. I say that not because of COVID, but because it's December. You don't go to stores in December. <laughs> Let us find all our hope in him alone. Let's behold the wondrous mystery. Let's draw as many people in together with us as we do it and let our hearts be transfixed on the glorious goodness of the King who gave himself for us, who became not just our brother, but our sacrifice, our Savior. Father, we need you. We need the glorious grace you've given us in Jesus. I ask now, Father, that the Holy Spirit would wrap in our hearts, show us where we need to repent, that we would turn to you and we would turn from our sin and we would love you more than we love that sin or ourselves. Lord, for those who do not yet know you, who are here today, I beg you, Lord, to, to work in their hearts that of you, Lord, they can be born again, that they would turn from their sin, they would see your grace and your glory, and they would believe on Jesus, your son, that they would give themselves over, they would run headlong into the arms of you and your son, their savior, that he would be made much of as we repent and believe, that we would see lives changed to become new lives, not bound in the darkness, but brought into the light, receiving freedom from sin, finding freedom in the love and mercy and grace and joy and peace of Christ that can only be found through the good news that he died for us 2,000 years ago. But even now, he's still fully God, fully man, residing at your right hand. Lord, we anticipate and we hope for and we look for the arrival his second time. But we need you. We love you. We do not love you enough, and we need you more than we can understand. Show us that we might walk in the light, that we might behold the wondrous mystery of the gospel of your son, Jesus. We ask that in his precious and holy and glorious and good and eternal and powerful and all-knowing and all-wise name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus, as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.